Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. All right, the rest of you, please open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. We're going to begin by looking at Proverbs chapter 9. We'll just be looking at verses 9 and 10 today. A couple things to mention before we get started. First of all, there is going to be a church work day this coming Saturday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. This is something that we've typically done um, in the spring, got moved to the fall this year. Uh, But we just gather together and we do various jobs both inside the church building and outside on the property. And uh, it's really a great time to hang out and get to know each other and and have some fun, but there's always various jobs that need to be done to maintain the gift of this property uh, that we have. So um, we'd love for you all to to come. You don't have to stay the whole day. If you've only got an hour or two to come, you can come at any time between 9 and 3. I believe there will be uh, assignments uh, listed for various uh, people to do. So we'd love to have you. That's this Saturday. Um, secondly, I want to give you just a brief update on our music director situation. As most of you know, we've been searching for a new music director to replace Serena Mao, who's taken a full-time position with Crew, and she has actually moved to Indianapolis. Um, and so the, the update that I have to give you here is, is really pretty brief. It's simply to say that we, as elders, have decided just to continue to keep looking for the right person to fill this position. We're looking for uh, a long-term permanent person to serve as our music director. And so that search is continuing. We're very, very thankful for all those who have stepped up and who have led music here from Sunday to Sunday. And in the meantime, before uh, or until God provides that person, we're going to just keep relying on our volunteer leaders like Gwen this morning uh, as we gather every Lord's Day. So if you have any suggestions, any ideas um, for us, I would would love love, love to please come talk to me or Pastor Brian about that music director position. Okay. Some of you might know a guy named Philip Yancey, a very popular Christian writer. Uh, He sold millions of books, uh, well known by a lot of Christians, and I don't know if you know, but Philip Yancey is going through what he calls a personal crisis. He's in a crisis right now. It's not that he has cancer. It's not that his wife left him. It's not a a crisis of faith. The personal crisis that Philip Yancey is experiencing, as he wrote about in the Washington Post back in July, is that he is reading less books. He said he used to read three books a day, but he finds himself now finding it more difficult to pick up a book and read it. When he does read, he says he finds that his mind very easily strays. And um, one of the reasons for this, in Philip's own account, is the internet. He finds himself on the internet a lot, and he's reading through an article, and He gets one or two paragraphs down and something catches his eye and he goes off on this link and then something else catches his eye and before long he's reading about 30 Amish facts that'll make your skin crawl. (laughs) 
various other sidebars that he gets distracted. And he finds it hard to focus and keep his mind fixed on one thing. So while he's learning about these 30 Amish facts, there are 5,000 books on his bookshelves that are gathering dust. And this article um, describes, in Philip's own words, the way he's just lamenting this development. I think the headline is the the, um, how the, the loss of reading is destroying the soul. There's a guy named Ray Bradbury, a um, very famous writer, who once said, to destroy a culture, you don't have to burn books, you only have to get people to stop reading them. And I would just put a, my own little twist on that and say, in order to undermine a Christian's faith, in order to undermine a Christian's vitality and passion for God and for the gospel, you don't have to burn their books. All you got to do is get them to stop reading them. Now, this sermon today is not just about books, but it is about developing a yearning for learning. That is, we as Christians ought to be people who desire to learn. In fact, the word disciple, we are disciples of Christ. The word for disciple actually means a learner. And so as God's people, we should be developing and cultivating this constant yearning for learning. That's part of what it is to be a disciple of Christ. But the fact is that some of us don't have so much a yearning for learning as we have an aversion to learning. And there are maybe a number of reasons for this. Some, <coughs> some of us have maybe a certain fear. We, we feel like we're not that smart. We feel like we're not intellectuals, so we don't see the need to, to learn or to read. Uh, some of us might think, well, you know what? I'm not in school anymore. I've been through high school. I've got my college degree. I've spent my time in the classroom. I don't need to learn anymore. I'm done with that. Some of us might have a certain level of pride, that is, we just don't think there's anything left for us to learn. We feel like we pretty much know everything, and so we don't learn. Some of us are just lazy. Um, Learning does require some work, some diligent effort, but a lot of us, I think, particularly in this day and age, are just simply distracted as Philip Yancey described, it's just hard to focus because there are so many things demanding our attention, certainly more so in this day and age with cell phones, internet, videos, etc., constantly clamoring for our attention. A guy named Neil Postman wrote a book many years ago, very famous social commentary. He's not a Christian, but the name of the book was Amusing Ourselves to Death. And for a lot of us, that's why we're not learning, because we're so busy seeking amusement. Well, we're going through the book of Proverbs, as you know, just kind of looking at various topics that Proverbs addresses. And um, this is actually my last sermon on Proverbs. Next Sunday, the Proverbs sermon series will conclude with Andrew Brown, our youth director, who will be preaching to us about friendship from the book of Proverbs. And then the Sunday after that, which will be October 8th, Pastor Brian will be here preaching. And then on October 15th, we're going to start a new sermon series looking at the doctrines that came out of the Reformation, because maybe some of you know this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Started in 1517, 
This is 2017. So we're going to take a few Sundays to look at those doctrines starting on October 15th. So um, today we're still in Rome, uh, excuse me, still in Proverbs. We were in Romans about a year ago. Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. So that's our passage. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 9, just these two verses, 9 and 10. It says, give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Our God, we pray that you would, by your spirit, open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So if you look at this passage here, Proverbs 9, particularly verse 9, we'll look at verse 10 in a little bit, but verse 9 tells us that when a wise person is instructed, he gets even wiser. And when a righteous man is taught, the righteous man, the wise person, doesn't just take what he has learned or what she has learned, doesn't just get content or complacent in that learning, But at the end of verse 9, you see, they increase in learning. They continue to grow in a yearning for learning. They seek to know more. They never get to the point where they feel like, well, now I know everything. I don't have to move forward. The wise person is one who is increasing in learning. So we're going to look at this subject of learning. We're going to see the importance of learning, some of the limits of learning, and then finally how we can pursue practically this task of learning, the importance of learning. Let's begin with that. Why is this important? Well, one of the things that Philip Yancey mentioned in his article in the Washington Post is uh, a number of people who have made it a habit to pursue learning. And so he gives us these actually pretty intimidating facts. Bill Gates reads 50 books a year. Mark Zuckerberg, guy who founded Facebook, reads one book every two weeks. And Warren Buffett, very famous American investor, reads 500 pages a day. Now, I don't know how that's important or how that's possible, but that was, somebody asked him, somebody said, actually, I don't know that he reads 500 pages a day, but here's what somebody said, how is it that you've been so successful, Warren Buffett? And he pointed to his books and he said, read 500 pages a day of these books and you will be successful. He said, anyone can do it, but not many will. Now, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think I could do that. I don't know anyone could do that. And I'm not giving you those statistics to think that you've got to start reading 500 pages a day, but I'm sharing those with you to give you examples of people who have a yearning for learning. These are people who are committed to learning. They find it valuable. They find it important. And the Proverbs do that. So as we're go and look at a various number of Proverbs here, we're going to see how they emphasize various aspects of learning. First of all, knowledge is better than wealth, the Proverbs tell us. It's one of the reasons why learning is important is because the gaining of knowledge is better than wealth. Here's chapter 20, verse 15. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious 
jewel. The Proverbs saying here, yeah, there is such thing as gold, costly stones, there is wealth out there, but there's something better than wealth, and it's the lips of knowledge that are like a precious jewel. I mean, isn't it interesting that these people that I mentioned to you, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, filthy rich, all of them. Warren Buffett is worth $76 billion. If there ever were people who could conclude, I think I've got it down and don't really need to learn, it would be these people. But no, they continue to learn. They continue to read. They continue to seek out wisdom. And that might suggest to us that Learning in some way is more satisfying to them than all the money that they have. They're rich, they're wealthy, but the benefit of that wealth starts to lose its shine, but the benefit of learning doesn't. And there's something that just keeps them hungry. Ben Franklin said, investment in knowledge is what pays the best interest. So one of the reasons learning is important is because, according to the Proverbs, it's actually better than being wealthy. Here's another reason that learning is important. It tempers our enthusiasm. So here's what chapter 19, verse 2 says. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. That word for desire is also translated enthusiasm or zeal, passion, emotional strength. Having that kind of passion and zeal can be a good thing. But when that zeal comes without accompanying knowledge, what the Proverbs say is that that can be dangerous. That's what often leads to what we call fanaticism, when our emotions outstrip knowledge. Uh, I was reading last night, actually, a book on the Reformation, and uh, we all know about the, the witch trials that happened in early American history, but in a period of about 150 years after the Reformation, there were 40,000 people executed for being accused of being witches, most of them women. That's what happens when enthusiasm, zeal, and a passion begins to exceed what people understand to be true can be a dangerous thing. So the proverb says, zeal without accompanying knowledge is a bad thing. The third thing we see here in the importance of learning is that knowledge delivers the righteous. Chapter 11, verse 9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. That is, as we know more about the world and more about people and more about history, we can be prevented from making mistakes. You know, you've all heard that saying, we should know history so that we can see mistakes that have been committed so that we don't make them again. Now, it doesn't always keep us from making mistakes, but we're much less likely to make the same mistakes if we know the mistakes that have been made in the past. As you know history, as you know, for instance, as a Christian, the way Satan works. You know, what we just talked about Genesis chapter 3. What did Satan do? He came to Adam and Eve and he said, did God really say? And so what we learn from Genesis 3 is that one of Satan's primary objects is to get you to doubt the word of God. That's the way he works. It's helpful to know that. 
All attempts to get you to lose confidence and trust in the authority of God's word, those come from the pit. And you should be aware of that. Knowledge of the way Satan works will keep you out of trouble. Knowledge of the promises of God. Knowledge of the movements of your own heart. All of these things deliver the righteous, keep us from making mistakes we otherwise would. Well, there's other examples of the value of learning, the importance of learning. You know, Solomon, um, who wrote a lot of the Proverbs. In 1 Kings 3, we learn that Solomon was a man who valued learning. He saw the importance of learning. He was constantly learning. It says in 1 Kings 3 that his understanding was beyond measure. He understood about trees and birds and reptiles and fish. He understood about the world. And so the learning that I'm encouraging here is not just Bible learning. It's learning about the world in which we live. Solomon was a well-read man. And he knew about the way the world works so much so that it says in 1 Kings 3, all nations came to hear him. The king of God's people had a reputation for being one extremely knowledgeable. That's Solomon. And then we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus comes along who is the greater Solomon. And have you ever thought about this? Is Jesus one who had a yearning for learning? Did Jesus seek instruction? He did. Do you remember Luke chapter 2 when Jesus' parents take him to the temple? And do you remember that story where their parents, his parents leave and they forgot Jesus? And after they'd been gone for a while, they decided to go back to look for him, and they came back in the temple, and do you remember what they found Jesus doing? He was sitting at the feet of his teachers, asking questions and learning. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had a yearning for learning, and that sets for us an encouragement to do the same. Now, I can hear an objection, perhaps in your mind. Some of you might be saying this. I love Jesus in my heart. I know Jesus is in my heart. I know I have strong feelings for Jesus. So if Jesus is in my heart, why do I need to learn anything in my head? Isn't, it, isn't my passion and emotional connection to Jesus more important than any kind of intellectual knowledge I would have about him? I don't need study. I love Jesus. Very common uh, response to what I'm saying. And what I would respond to that with is simply this. You're, you're missing something very important, and it's this. That your heart always responds to what's in your head. The feelings and affections and movements of your heart are always driven by the things that are in your head, the things that you believe, the pattern of your thinking trickles down and moves your heart and so the way to change the affections of your heart is to transform your mind, right? Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A guy named Donald Whitney said this, Just as fire cannot blaze without fuel, so burning hearts are not kindled by brainless heads. Burning hearts are not kindled by brainless heads. Maybe you're at a point in your spiritual life right now where you're just feeling spiritually dry. You're just feeling like your heart is not burning with passion for the gospel, with love for God. And if that's the case for you, I want to ask you this question. What have you been learning lately about the gospel, about God? 
What has God been teaching you lately? Anything? When's the last time you can say, oh, here's this new thing that I have beheld in the word? Have you been meditating, thinking, learning about God's electing grace from before the foundation of the world that God had you in mind before he created? Have you reflected at all or learned anything more about God's covenantal promises throughout his word, all that he has gone through to fulfill all of his promises that started back in Genesis 3.15 to bring about a Messiah for your salvation? Have you been learning anything new lately about the atonement, about what the blood of Jesus has accomplished, about the redemption that is there in the cross, about, about the wrath of God being turned away or propitiated, about being justified, pronounced not guilty before God's law, about being adopted as a son or daughter into the family of God? Have you been learning anything new about that lately? or about what it is to be part of the church of Jesus Christ, the, the one eternal institution, the most important body of people on the face of the earth through whom God is changing the world. What a privilege that is to be part of the church. Are you learning at all about that? About the resurrection of Jesus, a man who was clinically dead and was risen from the grave? in a glorified, resurrected body, and now is king over the entire universe, and one whom you can know personally, and who's coming again one day to fix everything, to wipe away every tear, and to raise your body from the grave, resurrected, glorified, perfected, so that then we live an entire eternity on a renewed, perfected earth, fellowshipping with all of God's people around the throne of Jesus, are you learning about these things? If you were, your heart would burn with passion and love for this God. But it's not going to happen in a vacuum. And it's not going to happen if we don't see the importance of learning. Secondly, let's look at the limits of learning. Having said all this, there are some cautions to keep in mind when it comes to learning. I mean, learning can go bad. Learning is not the ultimate goal. It's a means to an end. So there's certain cautions we should be careful about. One, it is possible to learn a lot and be filled with pride, right? So the proverb says this, 1223, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaim folly. A prudent man, a wise man, a careful man, conceals knowledge. That is, he doesn't say everything that he knows. He doesn't feel like he's got to impress people with what he knows. He doesn't divulge everything that he's learned. He doesn't always have to have the better story in the last word. The wise person conceals it, holds back his cards a little bit. Can happen very easily. As we get to know and grow in knowledge, we begin to get conceited. Quite frankly, J.I. Packer says this, if we pursue theological knowledge for its own sake, it's bound to go bad on us. It will make us proud and conceited. The very greatness of the subject matter will intoxicate us and we shall come to think of ourselves as a cut above others. So that's possible. Doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue knowledge, but you gotta beware, it can make you proud. It's also possible to learn a lot and be a fool. So look back at chapter 9, verse 10. 
And this is a repeated phrase in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It doesn't say knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom comes when we adopt a certain stance or attitude or position toward God. That's where wisdom begins. And it's very possible to have a lot of knowledge, to have a PhD in astrophysics, and be a fool because you won't acknowledge the authority of God. You won't bow your knee to him. The Proverbs say, or I think it's the Psalms actually, that it's the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. So it's very possible to learn a lot and be a fool. We talked about this in the very first uh, sermon in this series. More could be said there, but we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, the third limit of learning is this. It's possible to learn a lot and not even be saved. I, I hope none of you are thinking, well, if I just know a lot about the Bible and get all my doctrine down, then that means I'm a Christian. Not necessarily. It is possible to learn a lot and not be saved. If you look at verse 10, the end of verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The knowledge of the Holy One. Knowing God. Knowing the Holy One. Implied here is not knowing about the Holy One. Knowing the Holy One. Having relationship with the Holy One. Do, do you see the difference there? It's very possible to know a lot about a person. You can know a person was born in Wichita and six foot four and has blue eyes and not know that person personally. What the Bible is talking about is not knowledge about God. He's the creator. He's very powerful. He's very great. Yeah, I know those things about God. Christianity is saying, no, you know him personally. There's an example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's mother devotes Samuel to the temple. And at the start of chapter 3, it says that Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the temple. Very interesting, doing this religious duty. <clears throat> certainly he was young at this time, but certainly had some knowledge about God. Ministering to the Lord, chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 7, the text says, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. He was doing religious things in the temple, but didn't know God. He had some knowledge of the temple and why he was there and who God was, but didn't know God. Could that describe you today? You know a lot about God, but you haven't met him personally? As a way of kind of illustrating this, there's a handful of us uh, last, a couple Sundays ago, that got to go see U2 uh, down in Indianapolis. It's a picture that I took of, of the concert. And uh, our seats are pretty high up. Uh, that's one thing when you go to like big stadium shows like this is that the band is always so far away. I don't know if you can really tell what this is, but this is like a video screen back here. And so this is the stage. And uh, I don't think you two are out there quite yet, but you can see like there's a guy right there. I mean, that, that's about how big they are. And so here we are in this stadium and you know, we're way up and we're looking at you two and, and they're just this big. You know, we're, we're viewing them from a distance. They're this great, famous band, 
but we're separated from them by a long way. And, and they're inaccessible to us. See, a lot of people look at God that way. They, they see him as far away, inaccessible, you know, too famous for me, too busy doing other things to be interested in, in me. That, that's the way a lot of people see God. He's, he's inaccessible. Well, some of you know a friend of mine from New York City was, came to go to this show and, and was actually here and played in the talent show a couple Saturdays ago, my friend Mike. And um, he was at the show, and uh, I didn't sit with him, but he was like down right here. He was right up front. But Mike, for a living, what he does is he, he does sound for like TV shows and people who record interviews with people and so he'll be called in to go in and put a microphone kind of like our sound people do here and get them kind of fixed up so that their interview or whatever can be recorded <clears throat> and, and Mike's met a lot of famous people he's met four former presidents and he also met you too he was hired to put a microphone on Bono the lead singer of you too and he got to actually fly in their private plane from Boston to New York City, sat in the plane across the table from Bono and talked to him. Now, I'm not suggesting that Mike is like a good friend of you two, but he had that personal connection, that one-on-one -on -one relationship, and that's what the gospel is promising to you. Not viewing God from afar, but being up close and intimate through faith, knowing him like a friend, relating to him as a child relates to a father. And this is possible not because we've gone after God, like seeking his autograph or something, but because God came after us. God pursued you. He came into this existence, into this earth in the person of his son, and that son went all the way to the cross to die, to shed his blood, to reconcile you to him so that you can have that personal knowledge. That's what it is to know Jesus and to know God. And it's one of the limits to knowledge. You can know a lot, but not have that kind of relationship. And if you want to know more what I'm talking about, it could be maybe this is the first time you've ever heard that distinction made. And maybe you're thinking, I've been going to church all my life, but I've never really heard about a personal relationship with God. If that's the case, we need to talk. And you can come see me after the service. So limits of learning. Last thing, the pursuit of learning pursuit of learning. Learning is not something that happens automatically. It happens when we pursue it. Proverbs 10, 14, the wise lay up knowledge. The mouth of the fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. Do you see how there's an active verb there, laying up, seeking knowledge? If you want to learn and you want to grow, you've got to seek it. It won't come automatically. And there's different ways you can do that. I mean, certainly we can learn by simply hearing like all you guys are doing right now. You're listening with your ears and hopefully, hopefully you're learning something here. And the Proverbs would say this, 23.12, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. So we learn that way. You can learn by coming to our Sunday school classes here, adult and children. You learn in the classroom. We have a lot of students here. All effective ways of learning. Podcasts are a great way to, to learn. Um, 
and I got some suggestions here. These are three podcasts that I listen to regularly that helps me, instructs me. Uh, Gospel Coalition gets a little 15 and 20 minute kind of uh, analyses and teaching on various subjects. The Briefing, Al Mohler gives um, kind of a commentary on current events from a Christian perspective every day, Monday through Friday, Al Mohler. A reformed Forum, if you're looking for more like seminary level stuff, this is pretty deep, pretty heavy, but Reformed Forum is, is excellent, very stimulating, theological, biblical content, uh, very easy to listen to. I, I would recommend those to you. But I would say this, that although we can learn through the ear and through listening that there is something, something unique about the written word that there's something special in the Christian faith about the word written. Do you remember when Moses was on Mount Sinai and God gave the Ten Commandments to him? Do you, do you remember what it says about how the Ten Commandments got to Moses? It, it says that God took his finger and wrote the words on the tablets. God wrote it down. I mean, God could have spoken it to Moses and let him remember it or put in Moses had the ability to remember it, but he wrote it down. And in the second commandment, God also said, don't make any images and worship me that way. That's not the way I want you to worship me. That's not the way I want you to know me, through pictures, not primarily. The primary way you're gonna know me is by reading the word. And think of the way God has revealed, I mean, how is it that we know God? Certainly we know him through creation, of course, But if you want to know about the gospel and his will for you, it's in a book, and a pretty big book. How are you going to know what's in this book unless you read it and give yourself to it? And so I I encourage you to be well-read people, to read science and read history and read good classic fiction But more important than all of those is reading the Bible. The Bible is the book by which all other books are measured. The Bible should be read first before you read anything else. Some of you might be really good readers, but your problem is you're not reading the Bible. You're reading everything but the Bible. The Bible needs to be priority. But it's the written word in particular that God has revealed to us in the way in which we come to know him. So here's my challenge to you, friends, as, as we close this sermon. I'm not asking you to read 500 pages a day, but read more now than you have been. Make it a commitment to read more. Okay, a lot of freedom in that challenge to you. Read more, and in order for that to happen, you're going to have to plan. You're going to have to be intentional. It's not going to happen if you walk out of this sanctuary living the exact same way as you were living before you came in here. So many things competing for your attention. Uh, A guy named Tony Ranke wrote a book on on reading, and he said, this is not a matter of time management. This is a matter of warfare, (laughs) reading, because so many distractions will take you away. Listen to this. If you read three pages a day, that will equal 1,095 pages for the year. Three pages a day, you can say, I read a 1,000-page book this year. And most of you are thinking right now, I can never read a book that long. Three pages a day, yes, you can. 
Three pages a day, that's 10 minutes. Or if you don't want to read a 1,000-page book, how about think of this, five 200-page books you could read for just three pages a day. Do the math and start spreading that out. Maybe six pages a day, eight pages a day, ten pages a day. It's amazing when you think about the number of books that you can read if you plan for it and make time for it. Some practical ideas, things that help me. Take a book with you wherever you go. Always have a book under your arm. Always have a book on the car seat next to you. You never know when you're going to get 15 minutes, 20 minutes. You're in a line that's longer. Someone doesn't show up for lunch or for coffee or whatever, and there you are. You've got 10, 15, 20, 30, maybe an hour. What are you going to do, play on your phone the whole time? If you have a book on hand, you can read. I know a lot of you say, and it happens to me too, I get sleepy when I read. Well, stand up. Get up out of your chair. Go, go downstairs and do something. Get a drink of water and come back up. You won't be quite so sleepy. Maybe you read while you're standing up. I mean, there are times when I've done that. That's okay. Put your phone aside. You've got, you've got to get your cell phone away from you. You'll never get anything done. Leave it in the other room. I'm not saying you've got to throw away your cell phones. I'm not telling you to stay off the Internet. But you've got to draw some lines and set some boundaries or the internet and your cell phone will steal your time. You might say to yourself, I don't remember what I read. Well, you know what? I don't either. I, I don't think I remember 96% of what I read. But you know what? You also don't remember all the meals that you've eaten throughout your life either. And yet those meals have made you who you are. You're glad you've eaten them. They, they have strengthened you and made you healthy. It's not a question of just storing up information. It's the process of reading is healthy for our souls, something that we should do whether we remember it or not. So we're, we're going to help you with this today. We have a bookstore here at New Life, and we have a new inventory of books that came in this past week. And they are out there near the welcome table. And... Um, <clears throat> We have actually two sets of books. We have some old books that have been there for a while, and so we've marked all those down 50% off, and so those are on a table uh, kind of to the right of the Welcome Center. But if you go around the Welcome Center, you'll see the big shelf, and that's where the newer books are. And if you buy a newer book, you can take an older book, a half-price book, for free. And th this is honor system, okay? You just put your money in the envelope. And if any of you are a little bit squeamish right now, thinking, are these people turning this into a bookstore here, this church? I, I want you to know we don't make a penny on these books. We, we buy them from Amazon, we mark them down, and we lose money because not all of them get sold. We just want to get good books in your hands. That's why we're doing this. We want you to own books so you can take them home and get your pen out and write in them and think through them so that they belong to you. Corey Schumacher, who was up here talking to us about life groups, Corey is going to be there. He's the one who ordered the books. He's a well-read guy, has a, a lot to say about a lot of different books. So uh, Corey can answer your questions about a lot of the books that are there and also direct your attention um, to other books that you might find of interest. Uh, and, and so just one last thing. you know, If you're worried about buying books, look what Proverbs 23 says. Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And so you can submit to this proverb uh, today before you leave. So let's pray. 
Our God, we thank you that um, you are a God who has revealed yourself to us, Lord, not only in creation, but in the written word of your word. And Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who, who yearn to learn, um, whose hearts burn with gratefulness and joy in the goodness of the gospel as you continue to teach us. Thank you that we live in a day and age when the printed word is available to us in such generous portions. So help us, Father, to take full advantage of this so that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.